when Amber was detained by the police in Tibet, she got to know Jesus in a whole new way. It was probably around the third day or so when I really was at the end. And it really started getting more physical with me. And then like that, the Lord just said to me, they're persecuting me. Will you lend me your body? It's me they're persecuting. Will you love these that persecute you? Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network. Welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs radio. My name is Todd Nettleton. This week on VOM Radio, we have an incredible privilege. We're going to be speaking with Sister Amber. Uh, she is a gospel worker in Asia, has spent uh, about 16 years serving in an incredibly difficult, hard place, uh, but has seen God do some amazing things. And so we're going to hear her story. Uh, Amber, welcome to the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. Thank you. Let's talk a little bit about Tibet, because uh, you're working in Tibet for 16 years. Uh, it's a closed country. They don't want gospel workers there. How did God open the door for you to be there and to stay there for that long? My first entry into Tibet was actually through a, a Christian NGO. I was actually invited by them to start some food gardens for Tibetan farmers. While I was with them, I trained up one of the local uh, people to work with me. We worked very well together, and I basically passed everything on to him. And at that time, I remembered saying to this dear doctor who I was working with that my heart's ready for the Ngari nomads. <laughs> And so I will be doing this for perhaps two years at the most, but then I want to be moving up north, northwest into Lhasa. And she was okay with that. She knew where my heart was. The beauty of that was I changed then from a work visa to a business visa at the time, and I was allowed to do that. The Lord just opened the way. When the Lord wants you in a place, he'll <laughs> open the place, even though the authorities don't know it. <laughs> He's got this way of just moving. It was just like God gave me favor. And so I was able to move over to Lhasa. So even the work then continues on yes. and God just kind of used that yes. to get you in the door yes. and then move yes. you to where he That's wanted it. you to be. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the nomadic people that, that you particularly have a heart for and were drawn to because uh, their lives are are very different <laughs> yes. from ours and even different from most of the other people in Tibet. Yes. They're very nomadic. They're probably one of the most nomadic groups left in the world today. They live at an elevation of between 5,500 meters and 6,000 meters. They're often proudly refer to themselves as the roof on top of the roof of the world. <laughs> <laughs> as you know, I think Tibet's often called the roof of the world. Uh -huh. So they're on... They're the roof on top of the roof. And they have winter, summer camps. They live in tents. They are a beautiful culture. When I, when I first met them, I actually felt like I was going back through a time warp with them. They live in these yak hair tents, which is made out of yak hair. 
their clothing, everything they make themselves from yak hair or sheep wool. They barter and trade. They don't really use money, so they're still barter and traders. They'll barter and trade with the farmers because they don't grow anything. So they really herd. They herd with yak and sheep. And to them, their wealth is in their animals. So the more animals they have, if they have like 100 yak or 100 sheep, it means they're wealthier than somebody with 40 or 50 or 30. They're very family-orientated. Usually you'll find the women are always around the tents and the men are out with the animals, herding probably even in the summer months they'll sometimes be herding as far as a day or two away and then they start coming closer and closer to the tents. And then as the winter comes, they will then gather the tent up, pack everything up and put it on the back of the yaks and then they'll trek for three, four days to their winter camping grounds and then set up camp there for the winter months. So what is their religious background or their kind of traditional faith? This this is interesting because they Tibetans normally are Buddhist and they are Buddhist because they consider themselves Tibetan. But they're also very strong believers of the of the old belief of Tibet, which is the Bon belief, uh, which is one of the oldest occults in the world. That was the original Tibetan belief. But when Buddhism came to Tibet, they adopted that and they kind of combined the two together. Now, when you're with the nomadic groups, well, the, the Ngari nomads in particular, you'll find that they practice more Bon than they do Buddhism. They kind of pay more lip service to Buddhism. But Bon is somehow more important to them because they have, it's very close to nature. And obviously, they're people of the earth. So... The mountains, rivers, lakes are very important to them and have spiritual relevance to them. So like a mountain will have a spirit, a lake will have a spirit and they'll pay pay homage to that. And the weather is very important to them. The rain is kind of has got spiritual connotations as well. Snow, ice, all that, wind. So that to them is extremely important in their belief. So Bon is is probably their strongest belief still. But they do do Buddhism as well uh, because they're Tibetan. So uh, into those two belief systems, how hard is it to come along and say, let me tell you about Jesus? It's very, very hard. Um, because the Bon belief combined with Buddhism has created a very tantric form of Buddhism Tibetan Buddhism is probably one of the most complex forms of Buddhism today in the world. If you're sharing, sharing about Jesus with them, they're, they're interested because they love stories. <laughs> they're storytellers. So they love knowing about you. They love the fact that you believe in something as well. They don't like it if you don't really believe in something or have a belief. And they'll sort of listen with interest, but their mindset is such that they would see Jesus as a a reincarnation of Buddha or something. That's the way they would think of it and say, well, that was great, you know, and all that. But now, you know, we have the Dalai Lama. He, he was another reincarnation of Buddha. Um, so it, it's very difficult. And also their language, the Ngari Tibetan language, is not a written language. It's an oral language. Oh, wow. So it's very, very difficult to sometimes bring some of these concepts across. So I find mostly you have to live your life as an example before them, example of Christ's love to them, 
his friendship to them, um, the fact that you do everything possible to show how much you love them and care for them, and this often bowls them over because why would you want to do these things? And then you bring the servant heart attitude to them. And I know you shared this morning in our chapel service here at VOM about a specific way that God called you to be involved in showing that love. Can you can you share a little bit of that story? My friend who came to know the Father back in, it was the end of August 2012, after many years of him working with me in December of 2012 on Christmas Day, the Father showed me and him that he wanted us to wash the feet of the nomads. And there was 25 families that we were, that I already knew, who I had a wonderful relationship with. And it was just so beautiful because Jesus washed the feet of his disciples and in that way bringing to them what it is to serve them and that we're no better than them, that we're here to love them and to serve them. And we went out to do this without them knowing that we were coming in the middle of winter on Christmas Day. <laughs> very, very cold. We hiked up through these mountains over, over the shoulder of a mountain. And I remember the Lord just saying clearly to me as well to just stand back and let my friend do the ministry because he was bringing him into a ministry situation. And I was just to help him. We realized that we were probably going to have to walk miles for quite a few weeks to get to the other families. And when we got over the shoulder of the mountain to the first family, we saw there was a gathering of tents all around this one family that we were uh, first going to visit. And it was every single family that we were meant to wash the feet of. And normally they wouldn't no. all camp together and they like would that. Not camp normally together, they would no. all be spread out. Yeah, in their winter camps. So it was really, it, it was just like the father knew he knew, he knows all things, doesn't he? He knows what's over the mountains and what's going to happen. And so he brought them to us. And my dear friend then shared with them, told them why we were there, which was so beautiful. Just seeing him doing it in their language and all, and, and, their, and the astonishment on their faces, because these people only bathe like once a year, <laughs> usually in August. <laughs> they have the bathing festival, and that's when they... They will actually wash themselves. So to, to actually take their feet and wash their feet, which is the lowest part of their bodies and is seen as a taboo part of their body, was very humbling. They were just so taken with it. So they lined up, they got themselves organized, and we went into the one tent, and we just took snow and melted that. And then I had I had soap. <laughs> I had a towel. <laughs> And we bathed their feet. My friend bathed them, and I, I towelled them dry. And while he was bathing them, we just prayed over them. And we did everybody, right through to little babies and little children, aunts and uncles, grannies and grandpas, uh, mums and dads. We were busy with that until about midnight. And, it, and the wonder of that was it, it was such a breakthrough because I'd been sharing about Christ with them for a long time. And when they realized this is what Jesus did... And we were about to leave to go back to Lhasa. They'd said to us, 
please, will you come again and tell us more about this Jesus now, which was a fantastic breakthrough. Because every time in the past when I'd spoken about him, they actually became more religious in their <laughs> own religion. <laughs> and now this time, they were more interested in who is this? Who is Yeshua? Who is this guy who inspired yes. you to come all yes. the way up here and yes. wash our feet? Yes. You're listening to The Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and we're speaking today with Sister Amber about her ministry and the persecution she faced in Tibet. Now, your friend that you talked about, that, that mm. you ministered alongside, yeah. I know as, as you saw him come to faith, you also saw the price that had to be paid in yeah. in that culture. Yes. And I know, you know, mm. he's still in some danger, so we don't want to say a lot of details about no. him. But can you share a little bit of, of the suffering that he faced yes. simply for coming to Christ? When he came to know the Lord, it was in August of 2012. And um, what it was, he came to me one day and he couldn't sleep he had these terrible um, thoughts the whole time. I remembered him saying that to me, that he thinks all the time and, and he can't sleep. I spoke to him again about Jesus, and he knew that I was a Christian, and he'd heard about Jesus many times, and he also became rather religious about his own religion <laughs> <laughs> at that time. But he came to me, and he asked me if I would pray to my God for him. So I said, yes, of course. And I said to him, actually, I'm praying for you all the time. <laughs> he told me his difficulty. And then I said to him, I said, when you go home and you go to sleep tonight, just remember Jesus' name. Just call on him and he will help you. And so he went home and that night, well, he couldn't sleep. And he had an encounter with Christ. Jesus came into his room, put his arms around him and spoke to him in his language. As a result of that, he came to me the very next day just beaming. <laughs> and I knew immediately he had been touched by God. And I, I just said to him, to my friend, I said, Jesus has touched you. And he said, yes, he's real. <laughs> and he said, I had the most peaceful sleep that wow. I've ever had. And then he wanted to know more. And so I shared with him more. And then he was all about being baptized and that. But we didn't do it then because then he was also wanting to go and share with everybody, his family and his friends and everything. I did also try to caution him over that. <laughs> I said, you know, it's a bit dangerous, this sort of thing. But he said, no, no, no. They've got to know. They've got to know. We, we're all wrong. We've got to have Jesus. Jesus is the only way. And off he went, and uh, then he came back some time later, and he had been ostracized. And this was heartbreaking because his whole family, his mom, his dad, his brothers and sisters and that, they all ostracized him, his friends. And these are all Tibetans, strong Buddhists. And this is in a culture where family is very, very, very important. important. Yes, uh, To be cut yes. off from your family yes. is the worst thing. Yes. That could happen. And he, he just, he was all alone. He had nobody but me, in a way. And it was difficult, seeing as I was a single woman. I couldn't really have him actually in my home because it would have just caused problems because I was living in amongst a Tibetan community at that time in Lhasa itself. I was the only foreigner in that particular compound and com community. 
So I knew this would be a problem, and I just didn't know what to do about this. But that's when he said to me, don't worry, he's going He's going to leave Lhasa, and he's going to go to a village. So we prayed together, and he left. And then it was about a month or so later, he turned up on my doorstep, some in the middle of the night, banging on my door. I came down, and there he was. He'd been beaten. He was pretty much almost dead. How he got to my door, I don't know. But I took him through to the hospital. Uh, he nearly lost his life there. But the Lord brought him through. And then he started sharing in the wards. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't keep quiet about Jesus. He, he didn't learn his no, lesson. He didn't, no. But he was so on fire for God. And it was what encouraged... Here I was trying to caution him. And yet here I realized what courage he had. And it was God doing that and he just grew by leaps and bounds and it was beautiful to see this and I was so thankful to God because finally I, I've got a, a fellow worker which is something I'd been asking the father for for a long time and the wonderful thing was a local person and it was a man which is very much needed in, in such a culture. I'm touched by his story, particularly that he said, Jesus came to me and he spoke my language. language yes. Uh, one of the things in some of these cultures, well, you know, Jesus is the American God or Jesus is a yeah. Western religion. No, yeah. no, he came and he spoke, he spoke. my language. Yes. Uh, yes. What, a, what a powerful ministry. Yes. Uh, you know, after after that time, there came a day where the persecution came to your yes. doorstep. Yes. Um, tell us a little bit about how how that happened, how you found out, okay, now it's it's me that's going to be persecuted, and also what kind of what was going on in your heart and in your mind during those first few moments when you realized, okay, this is the police, and they're here for me. Yeah, that was in January of 2013, Quite soon, actually, after the feet washing, it was the 5th of January, the morning, early hours of the morning of the 5th of January. Which I think is interesting because the foot washing was such a breakthrough. Yes. Uh, you have these nomadic people who are saying, yeah, come back and tell us more about Jesus. Yes. And then just a few days later, there's Bang. a knock on the door yes. and it's the police. Exactly. When I think back at that time, I didn't think in that way because I was afraid and I didn't know what was going on. And everything in your human, your human body just reacts to, to something which is really horrible and something that you almost can't believe this is happening to you. And you just want it to stop. You just want to stop it now. Even at your door, you want to stop it from going any further. But that wasn't to be. But in hindsight, when I think back on that, I realize it was Satan. He was very, very unhappy about that feet washing process because it was 25 nomadic families and for the first time really being touched by Christ. So in a way, throughout the months that the persecution happened on my own life, I also gradually began to realize that. The comfort from that as well was realizing you really are in the will of God. And as the Lord put it on my heart, later on in, in while they were interrogating me and persecuting me and making me wanting me to write things which I couldn't agree with um, he was reminding me again and again that it's because of me you're being persecuted 
that encouraged me a lot to push through, to, to stand my ground in Christ. And it, he Im imparted in my heart a great love for the persecutors in such a way that I'd never experienced before. That I could actually, as they were hitting me and doing what they were doing, I could love them and I could express that love back to them every time they struck me. I could just impart this love of Christ to them and telling them that Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. And finally, when the Lord just imparted in my heart the words that he said on the cross, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And it was just so deeply special to my heart and it gave me a, a deeper realization of what the crucifixion really is about too. It's it's so much more than what we even know from when we're in our churches and that. It's so much deeper and so much beyond what we just know from the Bible even. I, I want to unpack a little bit because yeah. what you've said is just really amazing. But when they first came... You had that fear and you had yes. that human. And I think all of us who are yes. listening can. I, oh, yeah, that's exactly what I would be. I would be like, uh oh, this is terrible. Yes. And then at some point you transition to, OK, God's going to use this and you're able even to love. Mm. How long did that process take and what happened that brought you over from fear to, to OK, to Lord, that. whatever you have in mind, I'm, I'm willing to be your servant in this situation? That started happening actually in the first few days when they had me in the office and in this room where they locked me in there with these five policemen. They had on the table this this paper that they wanted me to write and admit to things that I hadn't done. And, and they had a list of things they yes. wanted you to admit to. Yes. It, it wasn't your confession. It was there. they wanted you to write their confession. Yes. yes. And it was things that I, I've never done in my life even, you know. Um, it was trumped-up charges, and I've since learned that this is what they do to cover themselves or something. But anyway, so it was trumped-up things, and I knew when I, they wanted me to write in my own handwriting because then I'm admitting to this and then signing at the bottom. And then I, supposedly I would be free, but I knew in, instinctively in my heart I wouldn't be. That would give them recourse to to sort of convict me or something. And it was during that that the father, with all that was going on, that's when the Lord just showed, started showing me when I didn't know what to do and I was terrified. You get to a point where you think, well, should I just write this or shouldn't I? You know, what, 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 what do you do? You don't know what to do. You have nobody to talk to, not in the physical sense. I only had the Lord. I could only rely on Jesus. And... Um, that's when he imparted in in my spirit that I was just to write my test me down and to write, at, after I've written the test me, the reason I'm here in, in Tibet is to bring the love of Christ to these people and to them, even as persecutors, because he loves them and he wants them in his kingdom. And it was during that process, because they kept, every time they came back in and saw what I'd written, because I the Lord just showed me, you just write this all the time, all the time, all the time. No matter how many times they tear it up, you just write this the whole time. And, of course, it got pretty bad. And they were ripping it up, making me write again, making me write again, and leaving me sometimes for hours on my own. It's all just to put more and more fear, I guess, into me. And 
then it come they would come in rip everything up and it was in the process of that in the first two or three days it was probably around the third day or so when I really was at the end and it really started getting more physical with me and I was just saying Lord please just take take me just let me die and he came with his spirit upon <coughs> me and he just took me out of my body it was amazing. It was just like I rose up and I looked down on myself and I could see what they were doing. And then like that, the Lord just said to me, they're persecuting me. Will you lend me your body? They're not. Per it's me they're persecuting. Will you love them? Will you love these that persecute you? And it was in that moment that he started giving me the strength of the Holy Spirit to withstand I went back into my body and I could feel the blows, but you know, they didn't hurt as much. Wow. They were there, and I mean, I saw the bruises, they hurt afterwards a lot, but they were, it was like, it was like Jesus was taking the impact almost the whole time for me, which was amazing. Amen. And it was just like him saying to me, you know, this is how I help my people, my children through persecution, this is how I'm with them. and just know I'm with you always in these things and every impact he said now love them every just throw out my love for them and tell them verbalize it to them and this is what I did I just I just had the strength in me to say God loves you Jesus loves you Jesus loves you Yeshu Aini Yeshu Aini in Chinese Well, I hate to break into the middle of this story. We've been hearing from a gospel worker. We just call Sister Amber to protect her identity and her safety. I can't imagine any follower of Christ hearing her story and not being challenged. I want to be more like that. I want to share my faith more boldly. I'm gonna, I want to care more about the people around me that don't know Christ. I pray that the stories that we hear every week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio are going to challenge you in the same way, challenge you to share your faith right where you are, just like our brothers and sisters are doing in hostile nations around the world. One of the ways you can take another step in advancing your faith and challenging your faith is to attend a Voice of the Martyrs Advance Conference. This is an all-day Saturday event where you'll hear firsthand from people who have experienced persecution. You'll hear what they went through. You'll hear how God sustained them and how he's working around the world in hostile and restricted nations. I'm going to speak at some of the conferences this year. Go to vomevents.com, vomevents.com. Find the conference that's closest to you. Register for free right on the site to attend the conference. Bring along a Christian friend, bring along your pastor, somebody else who will be encouraged by the stories. One of the great things that happens at Voice of the Martyrs conferences is you'll meet Christians from your area that also have a heart for our persecuted brothers and sisters. 
You'll make friends. You'll find people who are praying the same prayers that you're praying. And there's really a sense of unity that comes as the body of Christ gathers to hear the stories of our persecuted family, but also just to fellowship with other believers from your area. Maybe people who go to different churches, people you wouldn't otherwise meet, but they have that same heart that you do for persecuted Christians That website, again, vomevents.com. Find a conference close to you. Register for free. I'm going to speak at some of the conferences this year, so perhaps I'll see you there. Next week on Voice of the Martyrs Radio, we're going to hear the rest of the story of Sister Amber and her time in Tibet. Hear what happened as she began to show the love of Christ even while she was imprisoned. I hope you'll be back with us next week. I know her story is going to challenge you right here on the Voice of the Martyrs radio network.